0: Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I am a longtime journalist and cookbook author. My first cookbook is called Glow Pops, and my most recent book is also called Healthier Together, like this podcast. Funny story about that, actually, when I reached out to today's guest to ask her to be on the podcast, she told me that her and her fiance had been gifted my book as an engagement present, which is so cool. It's honestly so bananas to think of my book in real people's houses. I'm not sure that I will ever get over that. Honestly, it's crazy. Anywho, speaking of today's guest, I am so, so excited to have on Iverly Brooks. Iverly is an actress and mindset mentor for creatives. Her company, Mavenal focuses on helping female creatives and entrepreneurs create a lifestyle around self-mastery and wellness. You may know her from her recent viral video, White Women Who Truly Want to Help, Here's How, which has over five million, that is a million views on Instagram and was reshared by pretty much every major celeb, including Hailey Bieber, Lily Reinhart, and Ellen Pompeo. She's also creating online workshops for this fall and currently at work writing her first nonfiction book about shaping your own identity and removing limiting beliefs. This is very much an episode about figuring out the person who you actually want to be and overcoming the blockages and taking the right steps to actually become that person. We talk about the common mindsets that hold people back, whether it's at work, in relationships, or even in anti-racism work, and then how to shift those mindsets. There's a ton for people looking to start their own businesses, including why Iverly thinks not everyone is cut out for it and how you can tell if you're the kind of person who is. And then the biggest mistake that people make in the early days of starting their own business. We talk about healthy morning routines, the journaling exercise Ivory does every morning to help manifest her dream life, the importance of therapy, and more. I have to confess, I am somewhat of a skeptic when it comes to the concept of manifestation, but the way that Iverly talks about it really changed things for me. It's more about becoming really clear about what you want and then taking a hard look at yourself and the stories that are holding you back. It's less woo-woo and more like deep identity and psychology work, and it is so worth doing because we only get one life. This episode will help you live it to your absolute fullest. Because this is Healthier Together, I also got Ivory to tell me her secret to building deep, meaningful friendships. I got her to spill some really fun celeb gossip. Shout out to Drake, who I'm sure is listening to this. And then we got really real about sex, including how she developed her incredible sexual self-confidence and why she thinks that that's so important, both as a woman and as an entrepreneur. Iverly is truly radiant. She's one of the loveliest people that I've had the chance to talk to, and she has such a unique and powerful way of viewing the world. There were so many moments in this podcast that made me stop in my tracks completely speechless. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. So please, please screenshot and tag both Iverly and me on Instagram. I'm at Liz Moody, and she is at Iverly. It's I V I R L E I which, yes, means she just has her first name as a handle, which is about the most badass move ever. I cannot wait to hear how Iverly helped you become your best self and live your best life. Iverly, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I feel like your time is a precious. I mean, your time is always precious resource, but you're very in demand these days. So I appreciate you taking the time to sit in the closet with me.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me. I feel like I enjoy the opportunity to actually have conversations rather than being behind the computer
0: all day. So I love Oh my this. god, me too. Especially in corona days, I'm like, "Oh, my my podcast is my saving grace. I get to have a at least one really depth in-depth interesting conversation with a person, you yes. know, instead of just my husband and my cat
1: exactly I feel the same way it's just me and my fiance here and our dog and I'm like if I don't get other human interaction soon I'm gonna turn into a pod like so I know I
0: started (laughs) feeling like that in the grocery store and stuff where you like talk to like oh the talking to the person checking out your (laughs) groceries how are you like what are your dreams did you watch anything interesting on tv recently and they're just like stay away from me (laughs) it's terrible
1: It's true. You need human interaction. Like I'm not that person because I'm afraid someone's going to cough on me. But my fiance, he will be like, man, so much choices for bread in here. And I'm like, will you stop talking to strangers just to have that? You know what I mean? But he's he needs it more than I do. You know what I mean? He struggled with the social part more than me. I can go into a cave if I need to.
0: Are you an introvert?
1: Not really. I guess I could say I'm a little bit of both because I need space to be by myself because of the work kind of work that I do. I'm always giving and I'm always like taking in. So I need to cut it off at some point and kind of just pour into myself. And so sometimes I'm very introverted. I'm like, I don't want any of this. I actually don't even want the dog. Like everybody go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then there's other times where I'm like, I thrive off of energy from others. So I'm a little bit of both, I would say.
0: I call myself, I'm the same. I call myself an extroverted introvert because I still think I get most of my energy from, like I love being out, but I still need the revival energy of being yeah. home by myself. Do you do anything specifically to sort of recharge?
1: Well, it just depends on the moment and depends on what's going. But during quarantine, I got really into plants. I've never cared about plants. And I've like, you know, I'll take a succulent or something, right? But my mom has always had a green thumb my whole life. And I just adored how she just, you know, had this thriving plant collection. And I never cared. And I'm like, <laughs> in quarantine, I don't know what happened, but I became obsessed. And I started watching every YouTube video about particular types of plant and what they need. And I've gotten like specialized fertilizer and like, I've changed into this new person who my fiance doesn't recognize <laughs> and that for real, it's real deal, girl. It's a jungle in our living room now.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah. I talk to them every day. I like, you know, just check. You talk to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's been kind of a bonding experience for me and my mom on FaceTime because she's like, let me see the bottom of that leaf. And I'm like, what's wrong with her? Like, you know, it's become like a. <laughs> it's I love really- that. Yeah. But I mean, that's just been during quarantine overall. When it comes to having to recharge, I always meditate. Always.
0: What kind do you do?
1: Guided. I can never do it alone. I'll be thinking of like Ren and Stimpy in my head if I try to do it quietly by myself. I don't think
0: I've thought of Ren and Stimpy in a decade. <laughs> see, see, that's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so I always do. Grindr. Do you do like Headspace or one of the apps? Yes, um, I use a couple
1: different ones. But to be honest, I will sometimes record my own. And yeah, I'll record my own. Sometimes I listen to them on the way to sleep, like so they could get get into my subconscious for the next day. But I'm sound it like it has an effect on me, just like with music, with anything else. Whenever I put on something calming, it immediately calms me down. So Mm -hmm. that's probably why I use guided meditations. And outside of that, I do a lot of journaling and scripting. I'll, I'll like shut down and just open my journal up and just get to it. And until I start feeling back to myself again.
0: Do you have specific questions or prompts that you do or do you just free write or how, what's your journaling method?
1: Well, scripting is a little bit different from journaling for me. So with journaling, I just write it out. I don't care. I can just I'll be writing sentences and then start drawing a dang picture. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care. I just let it out. And I have a couple journals that allow you to draw and write. You get oh, what I'm cool. saying. Yeah, yeah, I can I'll share it with you so you can take a look. It's really cool, but sometimes you just need to let out whatever you're feeling. And I so I don't have like a method for that. But with scripting, it's totally different because it's more of a manifestation exercise. So it's like it's it's more structured, but I don't really need journal prompts unless there's a new issue that I'm dealing with that I haven't dealt with before that I'm trying to figure out. So
0: Okay, wait. So I need I've never heard of scripting. You're gonna find out and probably judge me in this podcast, but I'm no. very much a manifestation novice. Like I I believe in going mm. after your dreams, but I've mm-hmm. never explored doing it in that way. So what is scripting? It's really simple. It's not people make it sound more complicated than it is. So
1: scripting is just writing out what you are wanting to manifest as if it already is. And doing it repeatedly over and over and over and over. So I know some people don't like scripting and they say like it's a waste of time. But for me, I totally disagree. I feel like allowing myself to play around in the world that I want to create makes it more real. It makes it feel more Like tangible in order to, because sometimes you just think of what you want in general and you're like, I want a house at some point. But if you're scripting and you're talking about, you know, the type of paint that you have in your guest room, and Mm. it's, you know, I had a really good time today in the pool. It was a little cloudy outside, but I really enjoyed being next to the pool. You know, it's just talking as if that had already happened. It's fun to do for me, but it's also really powerful as a subconscious tool. So it's like, you'll be able to start shifting when you spend a lot of time in the reality that you're trying to create. So some people are like, yeah, girl, whatever. But (laughs) I promise you, it's really awesome.
0: My immediate question is you're a a, a hardcore meditator and meditation to me is about being grounded in the present and scripted to me sounds like being grounded in a future that you're trying to create or that has not Mm -hmm. yet happened yet. How did those two sort of temporal notions interact. Like, can mm-hmm. you spend too much time in this dream future where it messes up your experience of the present or how does that work?
1: So I don't just start scripting in the middle of the day for no reason. It's a very structured practice. I do it as soon as I get up. It's part of my r- morning routine. So when I get up and I'm like, depending on like what I'm working on at the moment, I make it up at a different time. But every time I will wake up, I take a second no phone, no nothing. Even before I go and get like my tea or anything like that, I just get very quiet, start waking up, you know, yawning it out for a moment. And then I start stretching and then I go get my tea. And then when I'm scripting, I'll sit down at my desk, right? Before I still haven't looked at my phone. I sit down and I just start scripting out as if I was waking up that morning in the situation that I'd like to be in. Mm. Right. And I in the mornings, I feel like that's when the world is so quiet. You can focus. And then when I'm done, I close it and I don't come back to it again in the day. So with meditation, you hold on to that throughout the whole day. So you treat it sort of as a practice and it's a discipline. You do it every you know, I do it every morning. It's so that's where that's how they're different. It's like one of them is a tool that I use throughout the day. And one of them is like an intentional tool that I use in the morning that allows me to get in that space and leave it there.
0: I love that. I love morning routines too. I do a morning routine series where I'll just have past guests or people that I'm really interested in come on and walk us through all the details of their morning and evening routines. So we'll have to have you back to talk about all of that because I think morning and Mm -hmm. evening routines are so, so fascinating. Can you give us an example of something that you've scripted that's happened? Oh, wow. A lot of things. Okay. So
1: I, not too long ago, about a month ago, I would say, I been coaching for a really long time but never took it online and i was you know working for word of mouth and i'm like that's fine i can you know i can stay that way but i knew that i needed to have more people hear my voice but i never brought it online so i was technically a newbie to the online space so in my scripting sessions about a month ago i just spoke about people hearing my voice and i spoke about having a community of creatives and you know, creative women that were, you know, empowered and, you know, looked to me as a source because I've been doing it for so long, but just with people that I knew with the clients that I knew. So I would be scripting about creating really genuine relationships and having an audience of people that were very honest and that were very um, open to having real dialogue. And at the time I had I would say my company had about maybe 200 followers, and I had about 11,000. And as of today, I'm at 106, and that was about a yeah about a week a week ago.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah,
1: and my company's at about 11,000, and that literally was like within the span of four days. So it's just an example of I have been writing about having a a, a voice in in an audience for. Over a year. So that's wow. probably, yeah, that's probably the best example, but I got plenty, girl. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, well, maybe we'll get into more, but let's (laughs) let's roll back a little bit. Okay. I like to start sort of at the beginning, and you've lived from what I can tell, like a pretty incredible life. You at one point owned your own fashion magazine. Oh my
1: God, girl, yes. It has been a winding road.
0: (laughs) I think a lot of creatives
1: have that story, though, that where they have a gift or something that they are passionate about, but it keeps like manifesting in different ways. It's like, you know, you were singing jingles at a restaurant when really you needed, you know what I mean? It's kind of like you end up on all these different, you know, um, paths to get to where you're supposed to be. And I used to feel very insecure about that. Like, oh my God, I've done so many things. And, you know, as I got older, I was like, I didn't have it. Like my fiance has had a very clear path from high school to now, like, you know, and I wasn't one of those people. So yeah, there's been so many different iterations of what I do. I did have a fashion magazine when (laughs) I lived in Atlanta and I was, this is around the MySpace time. And I've always been very um, techie. Like I've always loved to like, you know, try to learn code and like, I was really into that. And I decided that I wanted to create a magazine for women. And I was like, okay, but I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be like a community which there it is. I've always wanted community. And so I just dove into it. I was like, okay, I need to learn advertising. I need to learn how to design. I need to learn Photoshop. I need to learn everything about press. I don't even know what that is. I need to know what a publicist. Like I dove into it for almost a year and I launched it. And the response was it was pretty crazy because we ended up being like one of the first women's magazines to ever interview Drake when he was not Drake yet. We had so many different celebrities. He was
0: always Drake. He was always Degrassi. People forget about his amazing time in Degrassi when he was fabulous. Yeah. But see, the thing is when he went over into
1: becoming an artist, it was, he was brand new. He hadn't even gotten a a co-sign from Lil Wayne yet. So when I met him, Um, And so there were a lot of other people who I really respected who, you know, agreed to do interviews like brands were sending us product like it was just amazing to me that I had this magazine, but obviously it wasn't what I was meant to do. (laughs) It was just where I got my start as far as creating a business. Um, And through that experience, I realized that I had more passion for inspiring the, the interns and the staff that I ended up with than the magazine so it was just part of it yeah yeah yeah
0: i'm curious i have a lot of questions about this Um, okay including like was drake cool in real life i'll tell you
1: (laughs) (laughs) i would say he was probably one of the most inspiring people i've ever met yeah he was very unknown here and for one he was extremely kind extremely gracious but he was like i'm gonna be the biggest rapper probably the biggest rapper in the world and i'm like boy (laughs) <laughs> I just I just listened to your mixtape like you know what I mean like I yeah he had this um real deal just belief and and it was not even just like belief it was more so just like an acceptance like I'm gonna be the biggest rapper.
0: that's interesting yeah. do you think that that like you've met quite a few celebrities both mm-hmm. recently and then mm-hmm. I think just in your life in general do you think that that the people who achieve those mega levels of success and fame they have that same quality?
1: I do. I mean, the the people who I have met and been inspired by, it, there was never a doubt as far as who they were. It might have been a doubt of how they would get there, but not a doubt about if they ever would, if that makes sense. So that acceptance and belief. Was he short? No, he wasn't short. He was, uh, he was oh. taller than me. Yeah, he was taller than me. But he was so, like, academic- when you talk to him, you yeah you don't he doesn't talk the way that he talks in in regular interviews and stuff. When I talk to him in person, he's like a, a professor, you know. And he's like, my mom made me study
0: the dictionary when I was a kid, you know. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense, but it helps oh, that's with being a so interesting. yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. Because you need to know, like I'm sure rappers, but it's funny because rappers are like kind of like street, and they're like. You know, have their big pants or whatever, but like they have to have such an impressive vocabulary yes. to be able to do what they do. Like they probably have the best vocabulary in the world. Yes, better than like a literary fiction writer. But you think of a literary fiction writer in one way, and mm-hmm. you think of a rapper in another way. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. Okay, so other than I love my celeb gossip. It's like my, <laughs> it's really my guilty pleasure. Like I literally be sitting there reading like a hard. In depth, emotionally wrought book. And then I'll mm-hmm. also be reading Us Weekly.
1: Yep. And yeah. And yeah. I'll enjoy
0: them <laughs> equally. Mm-hmm. One of my recipes was in Us Weekly last week. And mm. I was trying to explain to my dad why that was the most exciting thing that has ever happened in my career. And he just like <laughs> could not comprehend it. He like he just did. He's never under, he's just like celebrities are. Normal people, they go to the bathroom and I'm like, no, dad, it's so different. You don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. This is that's weekly. <laughs> but outside of that, I'm curious, were yeah. you always like when you were a kid, a lot of people are like, oh, I'd love to start a fashion magazine or I'd, but they don't know where to start or how to start or have the self-belief to start. Were you When you were a kid, were you like ambitious? Did you grow up with parents saying you can do whatever you want? How did you get that mindset in the first place? Well,
1: when I was a kid, I was very, I was a ham. Like I was on the table singing Tina Turner. I was very much like, I was always singing. I thought I would be a singer as a kid. I mean, but the real answer to that question is that my sister and my brother, they have a different dad than I do. And because I was the youngest and my dad was perceived as a bad person, my mom put a lot of time and energy into pouring into my self-confidence and Mm. trying to make me feel that I wasn't a reflection of him. So it had the effect of making me like, when someone would be like, hi, what's your name? I'm like, I'm gonna be famous. You know, like it was <laughs> it was that point as a kid, yeah. And it was my mom always, you know, cheering me on. Oh yeah, she's, she's gonna be something like, and it affects you sometimes negatively, you know what I mean? But for some people, how your parents view you and treat you will shape what you feel about yourself. So obviously, for a long time, I just had this belief as a kid that the world was going to open up to me and I was going to end up, you know, someone, you know, a big celebrity or something. And yeah, that was me as a kid. I was very, um, would you like to hear me sing? Like that was me. I would walk up to strangers and just very animated jokester, all that as a kid. So, yeah.
0: I was very similar as a kid. And I actually think it was really good for me because it's been the thing that's, I have a life motto that's like, never be the one to say no to yourself, like always just try stuff and let somebody else tell you no. And I think that having that outlook as a kid made me do that. And it's why I've been able to publish books and things like that. But I also think I had to have this reckoning almost maybe in my 20s where I was like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. not. Britney Spears or whoever is like I'm not that famous. I'm not ever mm-hmm. probably going to be an Olympian or the president or something like that. Did you ever have that uh, girl? And how did you deal with that?
1: <laughs> Me and my fiance talk about this all the time because he had the same experience as far as people just constantly telling you you're the top cheerleader. You're the you know, you're always used to being the star kid. And then, but no one reels it in for you at any point and and say to you like, okay, but it's going to take work ethic and it's going to take discipline. And you're going to understand that no one cares. You're not special. You're just unique. Like, you know what I mean?
0: Ooh, that's such a, you're not special. You're just unique. That's like a really good, I should get that tattooed on my body.
1: (laughs) One of my mentors, Preston, he says it all the time. He's just like, you know, there's a, I think sometimes we forget that, you know, when it comes to children, it's great to build them up, but you do have to make things real for them and let them know what they're about to go experience in the world so they're not devastated when it doesn't all fall into their lap. You mm. know, so so yes, I had that reckoning.
0: <laughs> for so sure. if you were coaching, I'm curious on both sides, like if you were coaching mm-hmm. somebody now and they had the overly, I'm a star. Why isn't the world giving me what I deserve? What would you tell them? And then also, what would you tell the person who grew up without the parents that believed in themselves? How would they overcome that kind of childhood to have success as an adult?
1: Well, well, there's a couple of questions in one. For one, when I, I work with adults that are usually just starting a business, maybe they've had businesses before. It's not very often where I run into someone who wants to hire me, who has that kind of mindset as if there aren't going to be any struggles or there, they've probably had some, which led them to a coach. But as far as people who didn't get that, I always tell people before you hire a business or a mindset coach, you definitely need to seek out a mental health professional first mm. and people say well what i don't I don't know why I would need to do that there's the internal work that you have to do. It's not something that a life coach or a business coach can help you do. You actually have to really get down into the fundamental parts of your identity, who you are, why do you believe that, what is that, you know, where did that come from, and that's work that no, um, you know, self help book is going to do for you. And I always tell people that, like, sometimes you definitely have to recognize when a client needs a mental health professional first before working on, um, you know, mindset coaching and things like that, because you're really yeah. not helping, you're not helping them, you know, with what you're doing, if they haven't done those foundational pieces of, you know, work with a therapist, I would not be where I am without mine. So
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so hard to find a good therapist, though, I have, I'm starting to see I have one guy who helped, I was like, I went through a period where I was like agoraphobic, extremely anxious when I lived in England uh-huh. and I had a therapist that like literally saved my life and he just agreed to see me by Skype because nobody's leaving their office for therapy yep. or their house for therapy anymore anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited, but I went to like five after moving back to the States and they were all terrible. And I was just like, yep. tell me something I don't know, you know?
1: Oh yeah. I got lucky though. I, my first time ever seeing a therapist, I was, I was, should have gone as a, as a teenager, but it was when I was older and I'm the first therapist said to me, That I got dumped. Like, she did one session with me, and she was like, This is a little advanced. (laughs) Yeah. When I are was you allowed like, to do that? I think you can. Poor girl. She was like, "I'm sorry. Like, I, this is a bit advanced for me." So, and I had gone through a breakup right before that, and I was like, "Damn, I got dumped again!" Like, wow, I just there. I'm I'm that messed up that you know. So, what
0: are you supposed? To, I feel like you just go home and be like, "What am I supposed to do with my life?"
1: Exactly. She kind of like let me down easy though. <laughs> so, right after that, I found a therapist who completely changed my life and. I wouldn't be the person sitting in front of you without her. She's extremely influential in everything that has happened to me in the last
0: five years. I'm always curious. I know you can't like, you know, distill everything a therapist helps you with into one or mm-hmm. two concrete thoughts, but I'm always curious if there was anything that she said to you that you were like, oh, that's a universal perspective shift that other people could benefit from hearing.
1: I would just say in general, a therapist will help you examine what you don't think to examine. You know, why do you think that way? What is this doing for you? Like, we kind of operate on a surface level in our day to day lives. And I can't speak for everyone's experience, but for me, having a therapist made me really uncover what thoughts and beliefs that I had that did not belong to me. And they were so cemented in who I was, Mm -hmm. I've never examined them. You know, I've never taken the time to be like, wait a minute now, come on. Like, where did that come from? Like, and why do you think that's the way it is? And I'm an overachiever when it comes to having to do work. And so as soon as I went to therapy, I just dove into it and like gave 100% of my effort and energy into, you know, doing the work. And I was never the same after that. I tell every single person that I meet, you need to, you need to get one. And I don't care if you think you do or you don't like you literally will not ever know until you do.
0: Also, whenever we mention therapy on the podcast, I always like to tell people that you can, one, ask therapists for a free 20-minute first session to see if they're a good fit. And yeah. two, you can ask them to do a sliding scale because um, yep. a lot of people think that it's like for rich people or they can't afford therapy.
1: Absolutely. That's what people say the most. It's like, it's too, you know, it, it's too costly. And it's one of the things I'm passionate about is trying to normalize it within the Black community and I'm starting to offer like free health sessions for black women during this time. And like, so it's not something that I've been able to really jump into yet for the community, but I'm really excited to do that.
0: Have you found that the black community is more resistant to therapy? Or like, do you think therapy is more marketed to white people in general or more accepted in the white community?
1: Well, I can say from personal experience, therapy wasn't something that was uh, important growing up, no matter how traumatic the experience, it was more so, you know, you need to get to church and pray. Mm. And that was the uh, catch all for everything. And so I kind of grew up with this, just pray and it'll, it'll be fine, which I don't think is bad. I just think that, you know, mental health has to be normalized more um, in our community because you don't, you never want it to be labeled crazy or things like that. Right. So growing up, I thought like therapy and mental health were for the people who were in straight jackets. And I'm like the mm. crazy people. And that's what I really believed growing up my whole life. That's what I thought. So I do think that it early on therapy should be normalized for sure. How did you
0: switch to being like, okay, it's cool. If I see a therapist
1: girl having a breakdown,
0: <laughs> like it was not like, I was like, I like, no well, was in a straight jacket. So I was like, the therapist is for me. <laughs>
1: I was strapped out. No, seriously, <laughs> seriously. No, all jokes aside, I had no other choice. Like I was having a real breakdown where I wasn't in control of myself, my mind. I had just hit a breaking point point. and I got to a place where I was like, I need help here. I know that I need help here. And instead of, you know, Thank God, turning to any substances or anything, I called my mom. I was like, mom, can you fly here, please? And she was like, I can't right now, but you need to see someone and you need to do it now. And that day forward, I was like, if I want to continue living, if I want to continue having, you know, the life that I see for myself, if I want to have a healthy relationship one day, I've got to just surrender my sense of control over everything and know that I'm not doing this right. I'm doing this in a way that is, you know, abusive to myself, my ways of thinking, you know, all those things need to change. And so I kind of came to the situation just like, listen, I'll do whatever, like tell me what's going on. And so that's how I kind of came crawling and like help, you know? And so that's how I ended up making the switch. Cause I knew what I was doing before wasn't enough, you know?
0: What is your relationship with mental health now? Like, do you struggle with anxiety or depression or any of those types of things?
1: Now, I don't. I'm very blessed to be in a relationship where we are very open about the the waves and tides of what we're going through. Both of us really value our relationship with our therapists as well as our couples therapists. So I feel supported I've, you know, definitely held on to the tools that I was given, you know, throughout the work of having a therapist. And I'm very vocal. I'm very in tune with what I'm feeling like during this whole period in the last few weeks. I knew I was like, oh, no, I can't do this by myself. Like, <laughs> you know, this whole process of becoming very visible very quickly. I knew better. I was like, uh uh-uh, girl, we're doing day to day now. Forget weekly, forget two weeks. <laughs> we're doing day to day because. I kind of look after it just like as a natural, you know, reaction to day to day. I look after my mental health like I would anything else.
0: Oh, that's interesting. You're sort of like waking up, attuning to it and kind of, I guess, nipping things in the bud before they would get extreme.
1: Yes, exactly. For me, I mean, this, this is because I'm a coach and I work with people all day. I take in a lot of energies. And I have to be completely present for people throughout the day and not just in a, you know, hey, how are you kind of way, but more so helping them get into really deep personal stuff a lot of times. And I have to be very mindful of my own boundaries, both, you know, emotionally, mentally, all of it. So I become more aware just because of the kind of work that I always do.
0: Do you have any other sort of? We've talked about meditation and journaling, but do you have any other things in your mental health toolkit and therapy? Obviously, like do you work out? Do you take any supplements? Anything mm-hmm. else of that ilk?
1: Definitely work out. It help that I, I always um, turn back to that when I'm feeling something. Like when I'm, my nervous system is like, <laughs> I can't take much of certain things, and so working out helps with that. But also talking it out. With people who are like on a certain level of understanding and who know me, I can, if I'm able to talk and some people don't like it, you know, some people are like, just shut down. I'm not that person. I'm like, Hey girl, how you doing? Can we talk about this really crazy thing? Or do you have space for that? (laughs) Like, and that's how my friends are too. And talking things out really make a huge difference for me. Um, Having sessions with other, you know, friends and other people who I'm associated with. And especially right now, having groups of Black women to have a space where we can just kind of let out because it's it's extremely difficult right now to just kind of show up and still do what you need to do in the midst of having to fight for your own right to just live a normal life. You know, people are Mm -hmm. arguing in comment sections about your right to live. So it's traumatic you know what I mean? And so it's like, you have to be, know when you need support, like know when you can't go it alone and quickly act on it and give yourself the tools. So
0: it's interesting. Cause I also like the thing you said where, when you go to your friends, you're like, mm-hmm. Hey girl, do you have space for like, you almost, you practice Absolutely. the conversation by making sure they can deal with the conversation. And I actually yep. think that's something a lot of people, myself included, don't think to do. And then we're not met with the type of listening. Even with my husband, I think even if I was like, do you have space to talk about this serious thing I want to talk about right now, I'd get better results than when I just like sidle over while he's working on the computer. And I'm like, here's my emotional thoughts. And then I get mad that he's not listening to me properly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so important, especially like in our household right now, because of what's been happening to me. We just cut off the word racism at a certain point. We stop talking about everything that's going on at a certain point, just to kind of be mindful of our space and energy and Especially because we're an interracial couple, we can just go on forever, hours and hours and hours, and we create a boundary there. And since, you know, the video went viral I, and I need my friends and I need to talk to people, I'm still mindful that everyone is in there. So I'm just respecting their space. I'm like, hey, you know, not just, hey, girl, how are you? Good. Okay, so here's what I want to yeah. say. <laughs> it's not like that. Uh-huh. uh-huh. No, I really actually inquire and ask before I ever go into what I'm, you know, thinking because I want those relationships to continue to be mutually beneficial, mutually nurturing, like I I value them. And so I the other day I noticed that I was just firing off texts at people just at, in a rush and I'm like, let me back this up because everybody's mm-hmm. dealing with something right now different whether they be white black whoever they are dealing with different things and so i try to stay as mindful as possible about what the ask that what i'm asking of other people energetically you know
0: i get asked all of the time about which cbd brands i recommend and honestly i have like two or three companies reach out every week asking to work together But I wanted to find a brand that I really loved and could stand behind before recommending it to you guys, which is why I am so excited to share Kyoto Botanicals with you. Kyoto Botanicals has a few incredibly important things going for them. They own and operate their hemp supply chain from seed to bottle and hand-produce every bottle they sell to deliver products with unmatched consistency and quality. They believe that every single ingredient matters and should contribute to your overall health, which is why they only use USDA-certified organic oils to deliver flavor with benefits. Their products only have organic, single-source plant extracts, not lab-developed flavors and colors, so you get whole plant benefits as nature intended. Finally, their hemp is grown according to strict organic and biodynamic standards, and they only use organic coconut MCT oil as a carrier. They have a few different products, but my favorite ones are their tinctures. The Breathe one is lemon-ginger flavored, and it helps ease mild anxiety caused by everyday stresses, promotes a sense of calm, and it helps with digestion thanks to the ginger. The warmth one has cinnamon and turmeric to help manage inflammation caused by an active day and to help reduce exercise-induced inflammation. Finally, the restful one is minty, and it helps to promote relaxation and support healthy sleep patterns. My personal favorite way to take the tincture is to put a few drops under my tongue and let it sit for about 30 seconds before swallowing. That way, the most active compounds get straight into your body. They always have free shipping, which I love, and then you can get a whopping 25% off your order by visiting Kyoto botanicals.com and using the code healthier together, like the name of this podcast. Again, that's K Y O T O B O T A N I C A L S Kyoto botanicals.com. And the code is healthier together. I cannot wait for you to try these. They are truly going to change your life. Now let's get back to the episode. I'm curious. I want to talk about your fiance in a second and the interracial couple element, Mm -hmm. but for the friendship thing and having people to have those deep emotional conversations with, it's a thing I have really struggled with my own life. And I also hear from a lot of people that they have a hard time making friends of that depth. Like you can make a lot of sort of the shallow, I can go out and drink with you friends. Do you have any advice for cultivating a community of people who would be open or willing to having those conversations and being there on that really emotionally deep level?
1: Yes. I've always had that issue too. Because I moved around a lot and I was always new. So I was never, I like, like my fiance has friends that he knew in like preschool. Same with,
0: I also, I have a theory that boys like make their friends young and then they just cling to them for dear life and don't make new (laughs) friends. Because like Zach's best friends are his high school (laughs) friends and they are so different now, but he like, he, he, he'll, we moved to New York. He didn't make friends in New York. He just waited for them all to move to New York and then they eventually did. And he's like, well, now I have my (laughs) friends here. It's so weird. Like, I'm like, how are you? How
1: do you have pictures with people and from kindergarten? You guys are sitting at the bar together. Like, it's it's so weird, but that's not my reality. Yeah, I don't have that type of reality. I would say my oldest friend is about maybe 15 years or so. So because I moved around a lot, I didn't have that same thing. And as far as being an adult and and I have I, I did a video about this. Is getting intentional about wanting to create relationships rather than being like, I hope we can become friends. I don't know. Like, you know, just being set the intention to start cultivating real relationships with people. And I know it sounds weird, but just be honest. Be like, I would love to be your friend. Like if the person feels awkward about that or, you know, usually any time I've ever done that, they're like, I do, too. I've never... Really had a problem with it, but I think just making your intentions clear and not looking at it for what you can gain from being a friend, just kind of looking at it like, you know, what can we both gain, or do you know, is this nurturing for both of us? I got dumped by a friend one time, and it was probably the best experience I've ever had because I needed it. She was like, I just think we need to part ways. She was like, Wow, we're not in a space where we are able to really show up for each other and I think maybe another time in our lives we would be friends but wow not yeah and I mean of course at the time I just you know was the victim like oh my gosh she dumped me you know but it was we maybe four years later we're today we're like this that's such a badass move she's a badass but her name's Juliet she doesn't care if I tell the story but I needed that because my idea, I didn't value friendship. I remember one time a mentor told me, you pick friends with less judgment than you pick fruit at the store. Like you just pick people. You make me laugh. Let's be friends. Like I just kind of just grabbed on to people without really taking the time to be intentional about it. And as I got older... I started to become very intentional about relationships and that's how now I feel good about the friendships that I had because I'm open to making new ones all the time, but I make sure that I I pour into the ones that I have, you know, rather than just being like, whatever, I don't make friends. You know what I mean? I just value it more now.
0: I also definitely think that it's a two-step process because when you say like, just tell people you want to be their friend, Uh I'm like, great. That sounds like such a good idea. But then I roll back and I'm like, you need so much confidence in what you bring to the table to even be willing to do that versus being like, why would this person want to be my friend? So I feel like you almost need to convince yourself that you're a worthy person to be somebody's friend before you can even take that second step.
1: Well, it goes a lot deeper than that too, because you have to believe you're a worthy person to even accept genuine friendship. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you will be the person who doesn't show up when you say you're gonna show up. You will be the friend that flakes on people every time because yeah. you know, those have to do with beliefs about who you are and what you are. For me, that was part of it. It's like when I got intentional about being a good friend and making sure that I was, you know, pouring into my friendships, it included going, you know, talking and going places when I may have changed my mind about it, but showing up when I say. I'm going to for the people and not just relying on them to always show up, like be there for me when I need you, but I'm not going to do that. So I think it's just about intentionality, to be honest. You know, it's just like with any other relationship, it takes work. You have to maintain friendships. It's like maintenance on the ones that you
0: have. Well, and I think really that's one of my best relationship things I've learned too, is putting out what you want to get back. Like instead of sitting around and being Mm -hmm. like, I wish my husband complimented me more or like I wished for the longest time that I had the friends that were really effusive about their love for each other. I'd listen to these like podcasts with this one friend group. Sophia Bush and her friends. I don't know. Mm -hmm. They're always like, I love you, girl. You got this. Like they're just so Mm -hmm. effusive, And I was like, oh, I want that. And then I realized I wasn't telling my friends how amazing they were. And I started doing that. Uh And they realized that was an open channel of communication to talk like that. And then they started doing it back to me. And same with Zach. Like, I always say also the best way to like increase your sex life isn't to sit around and like complain that you don't have the sex life you wanted to like go and start to have sex in the way, you know, like with your with a a consenting partner, of course. But like (laughs) do the (laughs) thing that you want to get back rather than sitting around and being like, I wish I got more compliments. I wish I had more sex. I wish I got more little cute presents when my partner went to the grocery store or whatever. Yes. Is your love language words of affirmation?
1: It sounds like (laughs) mine too. Mine too. I just I just pick that up. I'm like, okay. I make people uncomfortable sometimes and I know it because I am very vocal about what I feel about someone's, you know, progress, ability to handle what they're going through, every little win. I don't mess around about celebrating. Because that's how, that's my love language, you know? I love that. Yeah, and it's different with relationships, but also with friendships. Every friend that I have, they know that they're going to get some kind of text from me at some point affirming them and what they're doing. And I just, I, I don't know any other way to be. There's no way for me to, like, hold it in. Like, I have to do it. It's just
0: it just makes a well done compliment makes you feel so seen because it's beyond like I'm doing something good. It's that this person recognizes what I want to be seen as doing well, you know, and it just makes you feeling seen, I think, is ultimately my like it's like because I it's words of affirmation Then I also like gift giving, but Mm. not in like a here's a present way. I like when like Zach goes to the store and is like, I know you love peaches and this peach looks so good and I got you this peach, this deep moment of being like this person sees me and they know me and they're giving me what they know I need.
1: Yes. It makes me a little emotional just because I think about how I think everybody just wants to be seen in that way. Like being um, words of affirmation to me, it's just another way of just saying like, I see you, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends have come from me being a coach and so they have businesses and things like that. And when I see them doing the hard things or that maybe, maybe no one else knew was hard, I just... You know, I, I'm inspired by how you show up in the world. Like I'm, what you're doing right now is badass and I can't wait. Like, and I just, just let them know and keep it moving. I don't wait to hear something back. I don't need any of that. I just value affirming the people around me. And like you said, with relationships, I'm, mine is gifts too. That's my second one, just like you. That's my second one, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, oh,
0: is that, what is that? Is his, um. He's exact opposite. He's physical touch and acts of service are his top. So it's definitely been like, Our entire relationship has been learning to give love in the way the other person perceives receiving love.
1: Yes, girl. Well, (laughs) Jesse's the same. His is acts of service and physical touch. And it it manifested as him always cooking for me until I, like, gained 20 pounds. You know what I mean? So it turned (laughs) out I'm like let's roll it back here. Let's it roll on it back You know, and we need to we need to talk about our love languages. <laughs> but yeah, we we are the same and we have open discussions about, you know, our love languages and how we are, you know, expressing them because if you don't tell me, you could do everything for me. But if you don't say anything, then I'm feeling like, you know, but and he's he's different. He's like, you know, Your your acts of service are more important to me than words. So, yeah.
0: Can you just actually like in a nutshell for anybody who's listening is like what the f are they talking about? Can you just briefly describe what the love languages are and why they're important for relationships?
1: Um, yeah, I guess I can break it on down briefly. Yeah, yeah, well, love languages are just ways that people receive and show love. And from my understanding, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't teach a class on this, but I would tell a person if I was at a dinner table, like, listen. If you receive love in a particular way, let's just say, we'll use words af- af- words of affirmation, for example, your husband can be a person who is, um, you know, acts of service and he's constantly washing the car and like, look, babe, I, you know, I painted the wall, like what I did, but he never says anything like, I love you. I'm so happy to have you. You feel like you're not being loved, even subconsciously, where he's like, I'm doing every freaking thing I can. Right. He's like, I do everything. That's that's because that's how he receives love. But you keep telling him, I love you so much. You mean the world to me. And he's like, well, the least she could do is help me when she sees you get what I'm saying. There's a disconnect. That's why it's called a love language, because it's like language of how you speak, how you connect. And if you are having a relationship with someone and you don't know their love language, even friends, you, ca- you guys can totally miss each other. So I highly recommend people look into it and understand their own. It, it changes the way that you have relationships with everyone. It helped me understand my mom better. Help helped
0: me. It's not just for romantic relationships. Yeah. It's for friendships and familial relationships as well. Especially a lot of people, I think, have that parent who they're like, oh, my dad never said I love you. And it lets you see all the other ways your dad said I love you. And I think that yeah. can make you feel really loved in yes. a way that you might not have which is really special. Absolutely. I have to ask, what would you want somebody, like what would be the ultimate thing somebody could say to you that would make Mm -hmm. you feel so seen? I would say, you know, you made me laugh through a hard time in my life, I Mm -hmm. would say.
1: Because I've always valued being like the class clown. And then as I got older, I just laughing is mandatory for me every day and making people laugh, especially when they're going through, like, especially when clients are like, I'm so frustrated, you know, like for me, I always love how I can turn it into something to make them laugh. So I would say maybe that, like, I don't know, it's just something that even more so than, you know, you changed my life or something like that. It's just kind of like you made this, this journey a bit, a little easier.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So you mentioned that your husband or your fiance, when's the wedding?
1: We don't have a wedding plan yet. You can talk to COVID, call her, ask her. (laughs) (laughs) Tell her text. I
0: love weddings more than anything (laughs) on this planet. And I have, I'm mad at COVID for many reasons, although I'm a little grateful for COVID in terms of what we're talking about in terms of Black Lives Matter. Exactly. But she canceled like seven weddings for me this summer. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, come on. It's the the biggest bummer.
1: Girl, well, we were so excited about the idea of, like, getting everything together. And we had a conversation about it recently. Like, I don't want a socially distanced wedding. So let's wait. Let's see what happens later. Because I like to dance. I need to be, like, you know, I need Atomic Dog to be playing. Like, I really need a wedding. Like, we need to have a real party here.
0: That's where I would be at. Yeah.
1: So it's no rush. Like, it's... We're more than happy to wait until it can be a real occasion for our family and friends without putting them in harm's way.
0: <laughs> First of all, I have to ask if you manifested him. Yes, I did. But that's with everything. We're all, we're all. manifesting. It. I'm
1: going to probably talk about this in, in like some form or fashion in the future, but just to give you a little bit, it's pretty similar to what I was telling you before about scripting It's just kind of having conversations with a person who didn't exist yet. And treating my life as if I was creating space for a person who hadn't come yet. So, yeah, we could do a whole show about that part.
0: (laughs) Could you just explain a little bit more or even just to bring it really down pragmatically? I have a lot of friends who are like in their late 20s, early 30s, and they have dated so many just turds, just like pieces of poop and they do not believe, or they're having a hard time holding on to the belief that there's a good guy in the world for them when there's so much evidence to the contrary. So what would you tell them?
1: Well, the thing is, you got to be careful with the making the statements of belief. Like the minute you transform into one of those people, whether it be for good reason or not, there are no more good guys. There is, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it sucks. These guys, like, be careful with those kinds of statements because they become beliefs and then they control how you interact. And I know that's difficult to say, well, I, I just keep meeting, you know, jerks. I've had that experience too. Like, you know what I mean? I've been cheated on, all kinds of craziness, but I never allowed myself to take the stance of a person who believed that there were no good guys left. It was just a mindset thing. I forced myself not to group everything in you know based on my experiences Mm -hmm. and that and i've done that with things outside of dating it's like no matter how many times i've been turned down for something or didn't get this i'm not gonna let it turn me into someone who thinks there are no good opportunities or i will never make it so it's just it's the same principles involved you know what i mean like just optimism i hate to say it that simply but you can't buy into the, because there's a whole crowd of people who will agree with you. Like, girl, they're all gone. There are no more. They're all, you know, I didn't allow myself to get in that that gallery of, peanut you know, gallery.
0: Are you one of the people who believes you need to be comfortable with the vision of your life if a partner never happens? To Or are you somebody who like is like, no, you can definitely believe there's a partner out there for you and you will find that person.
1: It depends on whatever you want. Like, I don't buy into this thing like you have to do this or you have to do that. Like, I'm over 30 and I have no children. And there are a lot of people in my family who believe what's wrong with you, girl? Like, you know, I don't buy into these what you should do. Um, I have a, a guy friend. He's about to turn 60. He's never been married and he's. He travels the world and he's just like, Mm. it's just never been for me. I know my mom wanted that for me. And it's not because he's like a playboy or something. He's just, you know, he's himself. You know, I don't believe in these you should kinds of things. I don't think you should have to be with, you know, a person who looks like this or does this. Like we live here one time. You just got to really go after what makes you feel whole. And that might change. That could be different next year. It's nobody's, you know, no one can stop you from, you know, doing what it is that you really feel in your heart to be true for you, you know? Well,
0: and I think it's just hard sometimes to zero in on that because we are just, we're fed so many narratives of like, this is oh, what yeah. life looks like from movies and from books and from our family. And I think it can be hard to be like, this is what life could look like to even know that there are other options for what your life could look like, I think is is a hard thing. Yes. How I mean, do you visualize something that you never had an image for? You know, exactly. I mean, it's not easy at all. I,
1: I fall, you know, victim to societal pressures, you know, at times we all do. That's, that's where we were as children, we learn what we should be doing. And so it's hard to, Kind of just individuate and just be, you know, be comfortable being your own, your own person because it's so deeply ingrained in us what we should be. You know, if you are, you should be a good girl. So that means you should not be speaking out about something or because you're Black, you shouldn't be with someone who's of another race. If, and it's different for everybody. So there's the societal ones and then there's like the generational ones. Like there's so many things that we've been given. And I saw a quote the other day that said, traditions are just... Guilt trips from dead people or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's kind of like you, you have to examine all of your beliefs and all of the things that you think you have to do and decide, did I come up with that? Or because some of the things that were given to you are great. Some of the things that were passed down to you are amazing. You know, they they make you who you are. But the ones that make you feel as if you can't be fully expressed, like, for instance, someone who is, you know, gay or bisexual or things like that. Like, it's the society that we live in, but it's also sometimes generational that makes you think that you're wrong for that. And this in our tradition, we do this. And it's kind of like, no, like, you're supposed to live this life as fully as possible and not allow yourself to be held down by what's expected of you, you know? mm-hmm.
0: And you are in a interracial relationship. Your fiance mm-hmm. is white. And I know you've talked about how with your viral video, he was the person who sort of encouraged you to share that, right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. I'm curious how else like being in an interracial relationship has impacted how you're going through this moment in history and how mm-hmm. it sort of impacted your relationship as a whole.
1: Well, the thing is we have very deep conversations about race even before right now, because it's, it's our reality every day. We both have we're both living different realities, right? Mm-hmm. So it is something we talk about very openly before the movement began. And as for right now, when this is all starting, Jesse is probably one of the most well-informed people that i can say that i even know white or black so i learn a lot from him um and we he learned from me we have open discussions a lot but because i went viral for a video talking directly to white people he has been able to help me understand some of the the dms that i get that the long paragraphs because at the end of the day even though i can relate and talk to someone and understand their experience, I will never embody and understand what it is to be white, just like no one white will know what it is to be black. So he has really been helpful to me as far as understanding what it means to deconstruct your you know, mindset around white supremacy as a white person, and him doing the personal you know, work of understanding how he contributed his, in his life You know, unknowingly to racism. Those are things that a white person has to go through on a journey that I can't, I wouldn't be able to relate to. You know what I mean? So that's how um, he's helped me to understand it a lot more. But as far as like this moment right now, he's been um, extremely supportive and, and helpful when it comes to me having this huge platform all of a sudden with so much pressure. You know, because I was like, I I didn't like volunteer to be like the voice of anything. You know what I mean? And yeah, you know, he's really helped me to stay grounded in, you know, the fact that I have a responsibility to do what I've always been doing. I don't have a responsibility to mm-hmm. do more than that or do it for only a certain group of people. Um, he's helped me to kind of stay in my center of who I am during this time. Yeah, you know?
0: I think it's really helpful. To even hear that he's also doing this anti-racism work or that he's mm-hmm. trying to figure out how he's contributed to the system of white supremacy. Because I think a lot of people, a shitty example, are like, well, I have, you know, some black friends. Or like, I, I clearly am not part of the problem because I'm not racist and here's my examples of why. And he's literally engaged to a black yeah. woman and he's still mm-hmm. doing this work. And I think that that's like an important thing for people that nobody's um, immune from it. Like nobody is, shouldn't be doing this work.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's been doing it since a child because of how his parents are, you know, and this isn't new for him, but as we, you're always growing. And I think it's important for people to know that it's not just a hashtag and this is what we're focused on today. It's something that's going to, you're going to continue to learn as you come into new situations and meet new people. It's a journey that you're going to go on and it's, it's, it's tough. It's really tough because it's deconstructing everything you thought. Most people are like, well, I know I'm not racist. I'm not racist. So I know I'm not, I'm not the bad guy here. You know what I mean? And I think that is, it's way too short-sighted. It has to be like, I, okay, you're not racist, but you have to understand how you being white And your privilege contributes to the system of white supremacy and without being, you know, so I think people don't take that journey to understand Mm -hmm. that part because they're so stuck on, I'm not racist, I'm not racist. And it's like, that's not enough because there's, it it goes further than that. And so what I think this movement is doing right now, which is one of the most just incredible things I've ever seen in my entire life is the focus on it's not enough to just be not, you know, not racist, but to be anti-racist. I think I'm like, yes, damn it, like we're going somewhere here, like we're getting somewhere. You know, it's it feels like more and more people are waking up to the idea and understanding. Like, wait, whoa, like I affect this. I am a part of it. Yeah, I uphold this, and I've never seen anything like that on this kind of scale ever.
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels different than anything in my lifetime, certainly, yes. which is incredible and exciting. What would you say to people who want to incorporate anti-racism into their work but they their core work is about, you know, recipe development or fitness or they're a real estate broker or something like that? Could you share some advice for that both from like a creative entrepreneur and how you would tell them to engage with that and then also mm-hmm. maybe somebody in a more corporate environment?
1: Well, it's tricky because a lot of times I see that white people try to jump into the battle without even really knowing the enemy, right. Mm. And it's one thing to say, you know, there needs to be more black people up in here. like that's good, that's great. But understanding because we look at racism as this just this thing like we're fighting racism, but you have to first understand the legs of racism. What is the system? because it is a system. So I was I always tell people before trying to lead, first be led, first understand what you're fighting, you know, understand what this is, um, the bigger picture before be trying to say, you know, I'm an ally and this is the work that I do. Do you even understand how white supremacy works? Do you understand, you know, how it manifests in different ways in different industries? And, you know, so I don't think it's um, bad for people to speak up and I don't think it's bad for people to, you know, get involved in activism and donate and get involved locally with organizations and do everything they can. But the real work is turning inward first and coming face to face with your own whiteness and understanding it and getting to a place where you can see it for what it is. And as it pertains to how this country is built, how this country works. And when I really gave it some thought, Cause I've, I've gotten thousands of DMs, thousands of DMs from people. And from what I can see, a lot of times people are like, my family's racist and I, I'm having trouble talking to them or I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know how to make any change. What can I do? And so I'm in the middle of just creating a workshop called um, intentional activism. And it's a space to kind of deconstruct before trying to build for white people. (laughs) because i think it's deeper than just you know i believe in black lives matter and i'm gonna go with that it's like you you gotta have the tools to fight the fight the war yeah
0: well i think i totally agree with everything you're saying i think the thing i run into is like i'm doing the um the journaling book uh me and white supremacy Mm -hmm. and i'll do a journaling prompt in there like I can always find a hair salon that knows how to handle my hair or um, Mm -hmm. all of my kids' books had characters that looked like me. And I'll be like, holy shit, that's true. And then I'll get pissed off and frustrated and I'll Uh want to do something with that pissed offness and frustration. I think the instinct to act comes from, or like I watched the 13th a really long time ago, but I've had a lot of friends who watched it recently and are like, This is a huge problem, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and it's clearly a huge problem. And I think that everybody wants to do the education, but it feels like such a crazy problem that it instigates this need to act. And that's where that comes from, you know, and then sit back and say, like, well, Black people are being enslaved by the prison system. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to read some more books so I can understand the problem better. It doesn't feel like enough, you know, you're just like, ah.
1: Yeah, no, they coincide. Like you are able to still, you know, take action as an activist while because obviously there are things happening right now. Right. But so I think they cuz remember the learning process is lifelong. You're never going to stop. So you have to allow them to coexist and being conscious that they are coexisting. You're constantly going, you know, learning. You're going to stumble. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to, you know, have an idea about something and be like, "Wait, that's white supremacy. Why Why am I even like you're, you're not going to just get it in a week and all of a sudden you're, you know, it's all solved. It really is a journey that you're going to mess up. You're, you're going to get better at understanding things around you. And it's important to kind of not have this instinct to where it has to be changed at this moment. Me, I have to be changed at this moment. That has to be changed at this moment. You always want to do something daily. That helps the causes that are, you know, that are set right now for the like right now we're, we're learning about so many, you know, black people who aren't talked about on the news, who lost their lives, who it's not the main news story. And so now that they're, you know, there's more information coming out, people are. Taking action and calling, you know, their local offices and making sure that they donate and and educating themselves on what happened. And so there's something always something you can do. I say just do one thing daily if you can to just make sure this is a daily practice. But also make sure that you're learning every day and make sure that you're taking time to do that inner work. Because I hear people say, "Well, anti-racism isn't you know personal development work," and I'm like, "Oh, be be careful with that." Because you're definitely developing as you do the work. So that's how I feel about it. I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, don't look at it as personal development. And I'm like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we can we can unpack that. am <laughs> like, let's let's talk about that first. You
0: know. I think that I've heard that from a lot of black creators because they don't want white people tackling it as like a self-help exercise. Yes. But I also think that the point of self-help is to become the most fully actualized. Person, you can, and part of that is being awake to what's going on in the world, being um, having like real levels of empathy, not just for people who look like you. So, it's it's interesting. I'm curious your perspective on it actually a little bit more to unpack it because I can see both sides. I do too, and I think it's because white people
1: have the tendency to take over, and next thing you know, it's it starts with you know, I'm an ally, and then it turns into this whole you know, movement that is not led by anyone black, like, and so if we know that's the tendency, and if we know that's mm-hmm. how it goes, then I do think it's important to not see it as, you know, personal development work as far as, you know, what we know normal personal development work to be, but it has to be in a very intentional practice. And so it is personal development, but it's important to make that distinction. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I'm curious, because you coach you know, creative entrepreneurs for somebody like me, I think a lot of people are struggling how to navigate like putting out content or doing their jobs in a way that feels actively anti-racist and sensitive to the moment, but also Mm -hmm. is adhering to what people came to them for in the first place and the job that they started off doing. So do you have advice for sort of navigating that?
1: Authenticity every time. I have clients who, you know, have been called out I have clients who are struggling with, you know, experiences that have been brought back up and things like that. And I'm like, the knee-jerk reaction to be defensive has to be resisted. The knee-jerk reaction to just perform has to be resisted. There has to be an unprecedented level of authenticity, you know, especially if you have, you know, you have relationships with your clients or with your Fan base or customers, you have to just show up as raw and as honest as possible. You know, there is no way to save face because at the same time you are talking to audience members who are black. You're literally coming out and speaking about you know, and I'm I'm talking about maybe someone who was called out for doing something that was racist, that was unintentional or whatever it may be. There's no way to create a fake, um, you know, response that you think everyone's just going to, you know, buy. Like, this is a new level of accountability that we're all seeing. And I feel like with anything, you just have to be as honest as possible and not be afraid to, you know, make mistakes. You're going to lose audience members. You're going to lose people who don't think you're handling it the right way. There's no way to navigate that and still keep everybody happy. You just have to show up as dedicated to doing the work honestly but to be as honest and authentic as possible and allow yourself to be taught and i did an interview with lily reinhardt and she was letting people come on to her live that she had never met and having conversations with them and black people who she had never met in front of all these millions of people and allowing herself to be taught and and make mistakes and stumble in front of everyone and i loved to see that because i'm like it's gonna, it's ugly. It's gonna be, you're gonna, you're gonna stumble. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no way to still look super cool <laughs> when you're having to publicly go through a phase of an awakening. There's no way to look cool, you know, doing it. Just look, like
0: public puberty. Yeah, exactly. Anti-racism puberty. We're yeah. all in anti-racism puberty right That's now. a
1: really good way of putting it. It's, um, I mean, people respect honesty, they respect authenticity. You, if you are like I don't know what I'm doing, I am learning it day by day. I respect that more than saying like, you know, I'm I'm going to, sh- you know, show up with a bunch of black people with me or, you know, which just, just performing, girl, doing the most, you know? Just yeah. honest. I respect honesty. What
0: about on like a like is it insensitive if I post recipes still? Is it insensitive to do your job in a certain amount of ways as you would have before this movement happened? I would say, I think it
1: depends on how you've shown up for your audience and your relationship. It's different for, I I know everyone wants a blanket answer for that, um, but every person has a different relationship with their audience. And if you are a company that has been totally white, only showcasing white things, only creating a space for white people, It's no way to hide from, you know, having to face that and maybe face it publicly. It just depends on different business. You know, everyone has a different answer. I've been asked this question a lot and there definitely isn't a blanket answer. You know, there's not, not one way to show up for your audience members who are people of color and still run your business. There's no one way to do it. It kind of depends on the brand you've been building too. You know,
0: are there questions that, I could ask myself that would like help clarify that or that you would recommend a creative business owner ask themselves to help clarify that.
1: I would first say, look, I mean, look at your audience for one, look at, look at everything you've ever put out and just be honest about it. Look at everything that you've ever posted, every person, every guest you've ever had on every stock image you've ever used. Just have a real honest look at your brand and ask yourself, has it been inclusive you know wh- and And if not, why? That's where you have to start, because I think people hurry to save face or hurry to try to perform without even being honest about what they've done. And, the, you know, has your business contributed to white supremacy, period? Yeah. And that's a hard question to ask, but you got to start with it. You know, you got to yeah. start with that. Like there I have clients who are like, girl, I just changed all my stock images to black people. I just, I'm like, why? What are you doing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like the rush to try to perform. It's, it's just a knee-jerk reaction, but honest look at what you've been doing as a brand, not just you, but I'm just saying business owners, an honest look at how you've been contributing to the problem has to come first. That's really the only kind of blanket answer that I can give to all business owners. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, that's a really good advice. Or that's, yeah. a, that's really good advice. <laughs> can we talk about business for a little bit? Yeah, just, yeah, go ahead. Whatever you want. What do you think people get wrong? I think a lot of people, especially right now, a lot of people have lost their jobs, which is so, like the economy's shifting in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of people are like, well, maybe I should start my own business. Maybe I should make that leap into being a creative entrepreneur. Do you think everybody can do that? successfully or do you think there's sort certain things you need to sort of like evaluate about yourself before you would make that leap to go out on your own and pursue that lifestyle?
1: I think everyone should have multiple streams of income. I don't think everyone is an entrepreneur. Because if you think about it, who's going to work for the staff? I mean, who's going to who's going to be staff if everyone's an entrepreneur? I think we have this culture of, you know, you have to be a business owner. And it's it's a wrong assumption because I think people don't realize that not everyone's cut out for that. Not even, not everyone is best suited for that, but having multiple for, you know, multiple streams of income, I think is for everyone. And so I think we, it's important to make that distinction is that you can, you know, become financially independent without owning being a CEO of a company, because it's a very unique role And some people were never meant to play it and they shouldn't feel bad about that.
0: When I asked you on Instagram recently how you were feeling in life generally, so many of you replied that you were stressed, which I definitely get. There is a lot going on right now. I wanted to take the time to share a few of my favorite stress relieving supplements with you. I love Garden of Life's whole food magnesium chelate, which is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, organic, all the good stuff. It's great for keeping your gut healthy, which is an important part of managing stress. But magnesium also just melts away tension in the body. Seriously, try sipping a glass and you will notice a huge difference. The Garden of Life one comes in raspberry, lemon, and orange. And the orange tastes like a creamsicle, which is crazy and so delicious. Garden of Life also makes my favorite 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 probiotic, the Mood Plus 1, which is the one that comes in a purple bottle. It's a great general probiotic. It's great for supporting your gut health, which again is so important for stress management, and it's also great for supporting your immune system, but it has specific strains selected to help with anxiety in addition to ashwagandha, which has a ton of studies to back up its stress-relieving properties. I used to take it in the morning, but after interviewing the Gut Health MD for my Ask the Doctor Gut Health edition episode, I actually take it right before bed now, which he says really helps all the bacteria do their best work. You can find Garden of Life products on Amazon or at your local Whole Foods, but the best way to support this podcast is to use my affiliate links, which can be found at lizmoody.com slash shop or in the description for this episode. I super appreciate it. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It just tells Garden of Life that you found them through my podcast. I know you are going to love the probiotic. I know you're going to love the magnesium and I cannot wait to hear what you think. Now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, so two questions. One, what might that look like to be to have multiple streams of income but not be the CEO of your own company?
1: Um, well, your investments for one, there I I have a friend who's a school teacher. She owns multiple homes and, you know, she's that those are her forms of income. You can have, you know, whether it be investments, whether it be, you know, different ways of diversifying what you do whether it be passive streams of income. Um, there's so many, like there's there's a lot of different ways that you can invest and get a return
0: on it without you running a business day to day. And then the second question I hadn't asked it yet. Okay. <laughs> is, are there questions that you could ask if you're wondering if you're the kind of person who could be a CEO, who could be the person running, is there a way to sort of identify certain qualities in yourself or to tell whether that's a good idea for you? Or do you just have to try it? I would
1: say kind of, People ask me this question like how do I know if I would be a good entrepreneur? And for one, I mean there's we could go into this pretty long, but what I would say in general is become as self-aware as possible. What are your weaknesses? Because if you can't do anything unless someone is telling you to do it, become aware of that. If you have a problem because you're, you're you still have a job as an, an as an entrepreneur, you have your, your business, your client, those are your boss. You know what I mean? So yeah. you have to be very self-aware. Like, what is it that I, where do I struggle? Where do I thrive? And if you thrive off of, you know, having a group or, you know, coming up with ideas in a group, you may not want to start a business that requires you to sit at your desk all day long starting it. So there's a lot of things that you have to consider, but it starts with self-reflection. It starts with, you know, where do I really struggle? What, what do I love to do? You may find out that you love managing people. You love, you know, making things happen that way, but you don't have to be the person with the vision of what this, you might Mm -hmm. be the perfect executor. You might be the person to, you're the engineer or, you know, there's so many different roles that it doesn't always have to be the person that's executing and has the vision. Do you get what I'm saying?
0: Totally. I, one, I think it's also really interesting when you say like, do you like sitting by a computer all day? Because I think that we also have this tendency in the social media world to picture what a job looks like Mm -hmm. without actually, I think, there's value to getting real about what the day-to-day is, whether that's asking somebody who's doing that job what their day-to-day actually looks like. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a novelist since I was like five years old, and I still will write novels someday, but I wrote a number of failed ones and then ultimately had a mental breakdown that resulted in me like being too agoraphobic to leave my bed without panic attacks because mm-hmm. I had idealized the lifestyle of a novelist without realizing that I would be alone in my thoughts all day without any Mm -hmm. human contact and it wasn't it's to this day not a lifestyle that I could thrive in as much as I love writing and I love the idea of that job and I think that there's really something to be said for be like is that the actual day-to-day is that for me
1: yes I totally agree that's why I always tell people to as early as possible I have nieces who are, are who are young and I tell them you know get mentorship, do internships, really get an inside look at what it looks like to do what you think you want to do. Because it was the same with me with starting a magazine. I thought it's just so cool. I'm making something for women. and But I never met any. I never was around any. I was literally, you know, sitting at my desk and having really no human interaction unless it was my staff. So you really do have to find out whether it be from like shadowing or whatever it may be, what it really looks like. Cause it might, you might be like,
0: Oh no, heck no, I'm not doing that (laughs) because it may be nothing like what you thought, you know? So let's say you do decide to like make the leap and start your own business. Is there something that people, you would say most people get wrong about doing that at the beginning?
1: Well, the most basic thing is I think people automatically just say, okay, I need a logo and I need a great website. And then I'm going to start like, they, they just kind of skim the surface without understanding if their personal brand, they don't start with the most important things that will create a brand, which is their voice and their messaging and their mission Mm. and things like that. They just go straight to the colors. Girl, give me a cute, (laughs) give me the cute look, let me get moving so I can get this Instagram. Right. (laughs) Get this Instagram going. It's like, I think people forget that the foundations of building a brand is what's going to sustain you. And understanding what is the what is the point, what is the purpose before you know jumping into something that you're going to put your most of your life into when it starts, yeah. right? It takes a little bit more, um and I and I didn't realize this until much later in life. You know, there are people who still don't get it, and they start businesses and they 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 feel lost because they're like, well, what am I even doing? Starting off with what what are you doing it for? You know, what is the purpose? And what is the mission behind it? And those types of things. So having a real deep exploration of, of what you're doing there for sure.
0: So in both business and I feel like in personal lives to you, really your are one of your core things that you help people do is make mindset shifts. And I'm curious mm-hmm. what you've seen in your work are the most common mindsets that hold people back and the reasons that it's hard for people to change. And I would love to talk about this as it applies to like business, but also relationships and even stuff like the anti-racism work that's happening right now, because I think that limited mindsets and beliefs touch every facet of our lives.
1: Absolutely. It's your idea of who you are. It's your, this identity, this me that you've identified with. We stick to it. I mean, we stay with it. Whatever we think that concept is, we don't deviate from it. And so- when you're facing a challenge, sometimes you we, you know, we just say, well, I'm just not good at this or, you know, and maybe that's the case. But I'm just saying in the beginning, we're like this, you know, I don't do that. This isn't for me without understanding. Well, what what do you mean? You know, what what do you mean by is it for you? It's what is that? You know, what are you holding yourself back by thinking I'm only able to do these things? This is what is expected of me or this is what my my family thinks I should be doing or this is what I've always done. That's a trap that we fall into all the time is, well, this is what I'm known for and this is what I always do. And this is how things work and not being open to exploring how those things became so cemented. You know what I mean? So to answer your question, one of the most common things I see with business owners who are struggling at any point is they aren't growing because they aren't, they don't, maybe they don't realize this is what it is, but they can't envision themselves as the person they need to be to get to the level they're trying to get to in their business.
0: And do you think that's true for relationships as well? I do. I think
1: we, a lot of things get cemented. You know what I mean? A lot of things get like if you're like, I was never good with. You know, I hear people make these statements about themselves sometimes, and I'm always like, Ugh, because we hold on to them and they manifest. They they we perpetuate them out in the world. I always meet the jerks. You know what I mean? I'm always. I I already know that he's going to cheat because they all do. Like that's a belief, and it's really powerful to have these beliefs so cemented in in what you you know believe that it's. That you gotta, you gotta tackle that because you'll never get past it.
0: What are you going to do when
1: you meet the love of your life? So
0: how do you tackle it? Like on the most pragmatic, like if I woke up today and I wanted to tackle that limited belief for 10 minutes today, what should I do?
1: Examine it, write it down and listen to yourself. Say it. What do I, if we're, if this, if you're talking about guys, for example, what do I believe about men? What do I believe about finding love? What do I believe about what is possible for me? What do I just really start? Just unpack your bags. You know what I mean? Sit down and just don't don't try to fix it first. Just see it. Take a look at it. Put it on the table and really start there because the instinct to fix something without understanding it is a problem in so many different areas, which, you know, we've been talking about this whole time. It's like you can't do anything about something you want to change without seeing it for what it is now and accepting it without judgment. Writing it out is the first step to me. You know, for me, that's some people it's talking it out, but for me, it's writing it out and seeing it first before trying to change it.
0: And what do you think is the line between a huge part of my anxiety journey, for instance, has been me telling people about my anxiety and being open with it instead of trying to hide it and sort of embracing it as part of myself. But it's something I also really worry about, especially as I've become more of a public figure and become somebody people go to for anxiety advice and stuff like that is locking myself into an identity of myself as an anxious person or a person with anxiety. So what do you think is the difference between embracing an identity for yourself as a way to? love all the parts of yourself, and then also limiting yourself by locking yourself into that identity. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think it's being very clear on, for one, how you say it, like, instead of being, you know, saying I am something, rather than I feel, or, you know, I experience. Mm -hmm. I tell people, be very careful with what you put after the am, just because you, you know feel something or experience something or had something happen to you, it doesn't create who you are as a whole. So Mm -hmm. just starting to create that separation between who you are and what you've experienced. And, And so it makes a little bit, it's easier to navigate, right? It's easier to navigate when you don't attach it to your identity. So it's just, it's a part of your story. It's a part of, you know, who you are, it's a part of what you've been through, but it's not you. You get what I'm yeah. saying, so
0: yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I'm like letting that
1: sink in. Let it sit. Let it sit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, I have a few questions that I ask everybody, but before I get into those, I just want to talk about sex for a second because <laughs> I this interview with you, yeah, and yeah. you just sounded so. I don't know. You just sounded like a, a sex goddess, for, for lack of a better way. You just sounded so like empowered sexually and mm-hmm. confident sexually. And you had a quote in the interview that said, um, freedom and sexuality translates into creativity flowing more freely and gives us the ability to express ourselves more authentically. So mm-hmm. I'd just love to hear briefly about how you became the sexually empowered person that you are and how other people could do that and how that's just sort of impacted your life. I think it's the
1: same with any kind of like shame that we feel or like inability to express ourselves in any area. I feel like being, I guess, you know, sexually liberated comes from letting go of, like we talked about letting go of the shoulds, what I should do a lot of times. And I, and trust me, like I definitely have learning to do in this area, but what I have learned is that any area of my life where there's blockages to where I can't fully express myself, it spills over into the other ones. So the day that I accept the fact that I can't say, Hey, I want this, translates into me not being able to say what I want from a partnership or, you know, or or a business deal. Like for me, it's all expression. And so I can't be blocked up in one place and think everyone where else is free, free flowing. And this may be different for other people, but for me, I need to be able to, to fully express myself in order to be at, at the highest version of myself. So sex is no different if i work on releasing any shame or any you know societal type you know pressures and like this is what i should be doing not only is your, does the sex life suck but where else can you fully express yourself if it's not with your your partner or your you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like if i'm going to am i if i'm going to let the standard be that i can be blocked there and not try to work on it then where else am I allowing that to happen? So that's yeah. just how I feel. I, I And I'm still learning a lot about it. Like, I think as a whole, people have to not be afraid to say, I'm still learning.
0: Do you feel confident in your body? Yes, I do. Was that a process? Because I do think that a lot of people who, especially women who have limiting situations around sex, it's because they don't love their body wholly enough to inhabit it in this very full way that you need to, to have great mm-hmm. sex.
1: I do. And I, it's touchy. There, there's so many different issues around body image. And the, I mean, it, it, we could really go deep into it. But for me personally, I lost a lot of confidence when I gained a lot of weight because I've always you know, looked at myself as someone who was really in shape. And it forced me. To examine how much of my identity was attached to my physical appearance and like what I, look, it forced me to, I didn't deal with it before. You know, I don't have children. I've never had any real body changes until I gained like 20 pounds. And it was quick. And then it was just going up and up and up. And it was like, I'm like, what am I doing? You know, what is happening to me right now? And of course, it was a result of me not taking care of myself, not paying attention to what I was putting in my body, which is goes way back to being a kid. And it was Jesse's fault. (laughs) Well, I was eating it. I'll say that. (laughs) But but the thing is, it ended up being one of the most important parts of my journey as far as understanding what parts of my own, like I said, I'm still learning what parts of my identity have I attached to things that if that thing crumbles, then my sense of myself crumbles. And I would have never thought of that or even experienced that had I not gone through it. And I know there's so many, I mean, this is just my own personal you know, journey that I, I, that I went through. I think when it, when, you, when it comes to gaining that back, it was me taking the journey of trying to figure out what makes me value myself outside of how my body looks. What makes me want, because I'm one of those people I've always, I'm a trauma survivor. So I've always detached from my own body. Like I didn't, when I'm like yoga, what is that a bunch of stretching? What are y'all doing? Like I didn't have a connection to my own body. And I know that's probably weird for some people to understand if they've never experienced it. But I just felt like this is a thing that I have. And I didn't feel like a, I never knew when I had a cramp kind of, I would just discover it Mm -hmm. one day. I didn't have a real connection to my own, you know, physical body so i had to do the work to start trying to get in touch with it and also get in touch with how i see it how i feel about it and we all are doing personal work doing work in different areas and this was one for me that i had to do is just kind of reintroduce myself to the body in the meat suit that's what my dad calls it <laughs> i had to get reintroduced and to gain a real appreciation so it's been a journey for sure
0: what are there some things that you've figured out that you value about yourself that aren't connected to your body that you could share?
1: Well, I think I'm still definitely working on this part of the journey and trying to detach my my value from what is perceived versus what I believe about myself. But the one thing that I stand firmly on as far as part of my value is that I deeply, deeply care about Becoming whoever and whatever you want to be within myself and within others. Being able to just celebrate the fact that we can design this shit. Like, you know, like this is that make I'm very passionate about that. And I feel within my my the way that I think, if I can give that to more people or share that with more people, I'm I'm really passionate about it because I've always kind of been that person to say what do you really want to do? What do you really want to be? And I've empowered, you know, people who've known me throughout my life to be more fully expressed. And it wasn't until I realized that I do it for myself that I really started to value, you know what I mean? So that's how I look at it is just,
0: yeah, I love that
1: value of, you know, creating
0: yourself. Love that. Okay. A few fun. There's their quick fire, but like, I feel like nothing with me is truly quick fire. So these are our fun quick fire questions. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the best way to spend 20 minutes every day in terms of being healthier, happier?
1: Definitely some time of movement. I like to dance. So I don't mm, yeah. what kind of dance? Hip hop dance. I always try to find um like my favorite youtubers and stuff like that and i just try to i mean i'm not as good as them oh god but
0: <laughs> the movement, but you like learn routines yes girl come on like you Ooh, have to you know okay. you gotta
1: want the, the the three fours and the okay no let me stop front i'm serious i do love youtube and hip-hop dance classes and things like that but just for like a 20 minute i'll just we'll crank up me and jesse will crank up some music And, like, literally come up with our own routine. Oh, my
0: God. That's so cute. Yeah. That's, like, the best thing
1: I've ever heard. Yeah. We'll do routines and stuff. Because he's a performer, he's, like, serious about making sure he has really good, like, you know, coordination. And, like, he doesn't get, like, rusty. So he takes it seriously. Um, But that's one thing is dancing. And then I would say just kind of taking time to yourself with, like, no phone. And just even if you only have 20 minutes, just, like, do whatever you can to I don't care if you have to hide in the whatever it is, just find a second to just kind of check in with yourself for a minute.
0: What's something that you've purchased recently that's made your life healthier or happier?
1: Actually, believe it or not, I purchased a, like a very high powered mug warmer so that I can continue. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm able, to, <laughs> right? I'm able to drink tea without getting up because I'm doing this all day. This is what I do all day, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And if I, my tea is cold, I start feeling trapped because I can't get up and I can't, I'm can't talking and like, <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Yes, girl, so I got a, like, a, it gets really hot and it's just made my life better. I can go anywhere. I'm like, girl, bring me my warmer. And we can talk it out wherever. So it's small, but it's really made a difference in my life every day.
0: <laughs> What's the brand?
1: I don't know this brand. Um, I'll te- I will can text it to you or I'll send it to you. I don't know the brand.
0: But okay. I'll share it to- in the intro because I'm a huge tea fan and I think I've cultivated a community of huge tea fans. So I feel like everybody's going to want to know what it is.
1: Yes, I will give it to you. I, first, I got one um, from Amazon and it would just keep it room temperature. And I was like, get this bull, bull out of here. And then I got, <laughs> And then I got this new one. And I'm like, girl you can ball something on this thing. Like it's really, really something. So yeah, I'm uh, going to give it to you. I just got it like a week ago and it's just been game changing.
0: <laughs> amazing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been somewhere in the world where you're like the people here really got it right in terms of living a good life, like a healthy, happy life?
1: I don't know. Actually, no, I don't. I'm able to see the good and the good and the bad, wherever I go, I know in Tulum, I felt like I could wake up here and just walk and go get coffee across the street. Like, you know, and it felt very like, I just loved how I felt, but I don't think there's a place where I'm like, this is, this place is just like, they do it all right here. Like, cause I being black, like, you know, you, <laughs> you, when you go somewhere, you're always aware of, you know, how they interact, interact with people of color and how, so mm-hmm. I've never been somewhere where I felt like they got it right. Cause I, I don't, I haven't been anywhere where I feel like they have yet. So then that, that's in my experience.
0: Do you feel successful and why or why
1: not? I feel successful on a day-to-day basis because I haven't stopped. I haven't. Stopped going. I haven't stopped trying. And I may not have gotten to the goals that I want to get to yet, but I've been moving with integrity without a gap in that. And I'm proud of that. And I wake up still excited to go, still excited to do what I want to do. So I do feel very successful. I know my family's like, okay, girl. (laughs) When, (laughs) when is this going to happen, you know, but for me personally, I do, I feel good about when I wake up in the morning, I feel good about what I'm doing. And that's my, my personal definition of it.
0: I love that. All right. Last one. What is one big mistake that you've made? Maybe one that you've learned from the most. And then what's one thing you really got right?
1: Ooh. Okay. Okay. So, oh man, one thing I've really got, just in life, right? Not like with dating in life, world, anything in, in the, the world. And, woo. Okay, man, so many things I've gotten wrong. Okay, you know what? I'll say, I used to be like a detective when I was dating. I would go like all up in their phone, all up in their emails, and I. <laughs> I'm, this is just this is just real life, right? Yep. And I thought, like, well, if you won't have nothing to hide, then. I can do it. And then I, I prided myself on being like, ask I really, she's a detective. She'll find it, you know? And I didn't know or realize back back when I was that person that I was I was doing it all wrong. I was doing everything all wrong at that point. And then one thing I really got right
0: is wait, wait, what was wrong about that? Like for somebody who's listening and there's like, yeah, and they're and they're like, oh, that is, being a detective's cool. If they have something to hide, I should know about it, blah, blah, blah. Like if they have that thought process, what was all wrong about that?
1: Like love is is respecting the other person's boundaries in space, and I didn't believe that at the moment. And then also just really focusing on what the motivation behind it is and what makes you want to do that rather than the act itself. So, yeah, girl, I had to reframe all that for myself, but but for real, like there's a reason behind every action. There's a reason why we feel motivated to do certain things. And sometimes it's a result of things that happened really long ago. Like there's there's so much that could be causing it. But paying more attention to why you feel the need to do it is most important. Um, and then also, if you truly do care about a person, knowing that they have boundaries that are meant to be respected and cultivated by you and everybody else, you know what I mean? So it was bad. <laughs> it's usually bad every time. So... <laughs>
0: All right.
1: And one thing you really got right? Uh, One thing I, I got right was allowing myself to be in a relationship and openly grow instead of acting like I was always right or had it together at all times. Just be learning how to be very vulnerable and surrendering to the idea that I'm not always correct. You know, it's not always like, well, this is what I know and this is how it is. That's been a big hurdle for me in life. And I feel like I finally did get it right. The ability to do that.
0: I love that. Well, there was so much wisdom in this episode and I so appreciate you taking the time to share all of your thoughts. I definitely, as you probably saw from my facial expressions, had a lot of food for thought here. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us.
1: Thank you for having me. This was so fun. This is like the most fun conversation I've had in a while. And I think that I definitely will talk to you more after this because this was a lot of fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'll just say publicly after what you said is I want to be your friend. I think you're so cool. And I just really enjoyed talking to you. Let's do it, girl. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm down. I hope that you loved this episode with Iverly. I hope that you learned as much from her as I did. I really like just sat there after interviewing her and I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much to think about. Please screenshot the episode and tag both of us with your thoughts. We would love to continue the conversation. I'm at Liz Moody. She's at Iverly at I -I V-I-R-L-E-I. And then if you love this episode, I would love if you would rate or review it on iTunes. We are so close to a thousand reviews, which is crazy. And I appreciate and read every single one. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water, and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balanced meals over here, but nobody is perfect. So AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and adaptogens. I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. AG1 is rigorously third party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So, if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com/slash Lizmoody. That's drinkag1.com slash Lizmoody. Check it out.